Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. So have you ever heard the phrase carpe diem? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Okay, seven of us heard it. Okay, carpe diem. Let me get a show of hands again. We've got to get into this here. Okay, show of hands. Ever heard carpe diem? All right, it's about half of us. Okay, carpe diem, just a Latin phrase that means seize the day. All right, it's like the old school way of saying YOLO. That's really what it is, right? It's like this way of saying like life is short, and so take full advantage of every opportunity you have. Make the most out of your life you can because life is short, right? And America, a lot of times people say America is like the land of opportunity. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Anybody heard that before? That America is the land of opportunity. Maybe you've heard that less now than you've ever heard it. But, so, but that is something that's been said about America since our founding, really. But the, the land of opportunity, what they mean by that, the American dream, right, is that you have the right or the ability or the chance in America to pursue life, happiness, success, freedom, right? Like you're free to pursue your dreams, the, the, the land of opportunity, right? And so uh, that's what we're talking about today. Now, some people use that stuff as kind of a mantra to act like a fool. Like they say YOLO, what they mean by that is like I can do something foolish or something risky or something that's not very healthy for them. Like, well, I only live once, so I got to down as many Swiss cake rolls as I can. Preach. Somebody in the back is like, preach. Kenny, say preach for that one. That's preach, right? So you got to down as many like snack cakes and desserts as you can because, you know, you only live once. And so some people use that as kind of like a, a way to excuse bad or unhealthy behavior in their life, right? But maybe there's a way for us to kind of turn that around and use that mantra of carpe diem, seize the day, you only live once, and use that as a way to get our life heading in a direction that is super health- healthy, that God will want us to go in a way that's profitable and leads us to success, kind of a crossroads moment in our life where we can start going in a brand new direction that leads us somewhere better, somewhere more successful, somewhere happier. We can seize the day God's way. So this week at our house, which at many houses, I guess, it was spring break, right, for the kids, which is probably why there's, there's a few less people here today. But um, it was spring break this week for the schools. And so our kids were home all week. And so we set a goal at the beginning of the week that this was going to be the week that Logan, our seven-year-old, learned how to ride his bike without training wheels. That was big news at our house, right? It was, it was like big time. Okay. And so I don't remember what day it was. We had several good weather days. And so the first one of those came around. And I went outside. And I took the training wheels off his bike. And I said, I'm going to help you now for a little while. Now, don't worry or be afraid. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm going to hold on to you the whole time. And so I'm holding on to him from behind. And he's riding down the driveway and I'm helping him get started. And I said, okay, now you're going to try and get started by yourself. So kind of push with your feet and, and start pedaling and I'll make sure you don't fall. And so we did that for a while. And I mean, it was scary. It's, if you can remember, like learning how to ride a bike for yourself, it might've been a little scary for you too, but it was scary for him. And so I was like, don't worry, man, I'm not going to let you fall. And we worked on it for a while. And I said, now you give it a try. And I said, if you feel like you're going to fall, just put one of your feet down. You know, you, you can touch the ground, just put one of your feet down. It'd be all right. And so he tries and it was hard. It was hard. He had a lot of trouble getting going. And once he got going, he could pedal and keep it up. And, and, but he had trouble, like, getting started and pedaling fast enough to where it wouldn't tip over on him, right? 
And so uh, we worked on it all day. And there was, a, not going to lie, there was a couple meltdowns. You know how that goes, right, if you're a parent. And so, uh, there was, and some of those were even him, you know what I mean? So, but, um, and so there was a couple meltdowns in the day. And then by the end of the day, he kind of like had it pretty good where he could get started, pedal the whole way to the other end of the driveway on the flat part. And we hadn't worked on like, you know, going up or down hills. We hadn't worked on like r- long trips or anything like that. But he could, couldn't make turns yet, but he could get going and go. And so Stephanie is about to come home. And I said, well, when mommy gets here, you can show mommy course, he wanted to do that. And so he shows mommy when she gets home. And then we all were like, great job, Logan. Great job. You, you crushed it, right? So then the next day, I said, why don't you go outside and practice riding your bike? So he goes outside without me. And then I snuck to the window just to watch him, you know, because it's like, you know, you do freaky stuff like that when you're a parent, you know. You're, Quit watching me, you know. And so you're watching him and, and he starts working on it. It was still hard for him. But the longer he worked on it, the better he got. And then Every time he achieved like a new milestone, he would run inside and be like, Dad, come see. You've got to see. I can, I can turn a little bit. And I'd be like, oh, okay. I, I didn't even know. And I'd run outside because I was watching him. You know. So I'd run, run outside and watch him do the newest addition to his bicycling repertoire, right? And so uh, then Sydney goes outside to bike with him, and she's so, you know, big and mature. And so then without even knowing it, they decide to start trying on the road. And so they're right, like riding their bike down the road. So now he's like on a little bit of an incline. And that was a little harder. And so then at some point, we had ourselves a little accident. Okay? Well, that's my second Shawshank uh, reference today. Okay. So we had ourselves a little accident. He fell over on the road. And he comes coming back to the house, tears streaming down his face, a little bruised, a little bloody. That's how it goes, you know. And I hug him. And I say, it's okay. I bring him inside. And I clean up his wounds a little bit, give him a couple special magical band-aids that somehow make it feel better. I don't know. And then I said, uh, why don't you head back out and go out with Sid and start riding again? And he said, can I just ride my scooter? Okay. Now, everybody who's a parent and ever had to teach a kid to ride a bike who's fallen down, you know that what he was really saying without saying it was, I'm scared to get back on my bike. So can I ride my scooter because I'm comfortable with that? Everybody recognizes that, right? And so uh, I, uh, I said, uh, well, why don't you ride your bike for a little longer, okay? Because I'm a good parent, I think. And, and I know enough to know that, like, if he doesn't get back on the bike, it, it could paralyze him with fear the rest of his life, and he'll never get to enjoy bike riding as a kid. And I want him to enjoy that experience. So I said, uh, why don't you just get back on your bike for just a little longer, you know? And he said, well, how, how much longer? Do I have to? He's like, do I have to, he said. And so I got down on a knee, just like this. I got him eye to eye. And I said, listen, buddy, I love you. But trust me, you want to get back on the bike. I know he doesn't feel like you want to get back on the bike, but trust me, get back on the bike, just obey me, and just get back on the bike for a little bit, and then you can ride your scooter later. And he said, how much longer? And I said, just a little bit. And he went outside, got on his bike. They rode around a little bit and then you couldn't get him to come in. Like he loved it. And they went out another day and they rode their bikes and he's going up and down hills now and he's braking and he's turning and he can keep going. He loves it. But I knew enough to know that there was a moment there, a crossroads moment in his life where an opportunity was in front of him. And if he didn't seize the day, didn't take the opportunity Fear 
would paralyze him. He'd never get back on a bike. He just wouldn't want to do it. He'd just always take the easy road, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk with you today about the moment of opportunity. Because just like him, for us, fear can keep us from a lot of opportunity. Sometimes laziness can keep us from some opportunity. Sometimes a lie that somebody else told us can keep us from some opportunity. But I don't want you guys to miss out on opportunity. So I'm almost down on my knee looking you in the eye, just being like, hey, let's give it another shot. Let's, let's like seize the day on this. Let's just try it one more time. And so I don't want you to miss out on these opportunities. So I want to talk to you about the moment of opportunity. If you've been here since the beginning of this series, we're looking at the story uh, or the account of Jesus's execution. We're looking at it six times, the same story six times, six weeks in a row. But each time we're pulling out a different character who was around Jesus when he was executed. And we're looking at these moments that they faced and kind of correlating them to our life today and how we face similar kinds of moments, crossroads moments, where we're faced with a decision and we can go one way or the other. And one way leads us to blessing and success and one way leads us to pain, inadequacy, suffering, misery. And so we've already looked at the moment of regret if you were here in week one, and we looked at the moment of pressure. Now today we're going to look at the moment of opportunity. So to do that, we're just going to look at this character in the Bible named Simon. A lot of people in the room maybe never even heard of this guy. Simon the Cyrene, that's his name. And uh, there's only one verse about him. But now there's three writers that talk about him, so they each have basically the same verse about him. So we're going to look at all three accounts of this guy's story. His name's Simon, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this one verse with their own little observations or their own little flavor about his character. And I want you to see his story. So let me show you the verse first. I'll give you the background to how we got here. So in case you missed the first two weeks or you haven't heard this story before. So Jesus has been sentenced to die. He's already been beaten and abused by Roman soldiers. And now they are escorting him. I don't know if escorting is the right word, but for lack of a better word, they're escorting him out to the place where he's going to be hung on a cross and executed. Okay? And so they're journeying along. He's bleeding. He's in pain. He's been tortured. Insults thrown at him. All the shame you can endure he's experienced. And he's walking out to the place where he's going to be hung and crucified. And as he walks, he has to carry, this was kind of Roman tradition, he has to carry his own crossbar. Okay? So in, in Roman, as they would execute you via crucifixion, they would make you carry your own crossbar to your own death. It's like the modern day version of somebody holding a gun to your head, making you shovel out your own shallow grave, right? And so think of it as like a railroad tie. And, and the estimates were that this thing would weigh anywhere between 100 and 200 pounds. And so Jesus is carrying out this crossbar to where he's going to be executed. But he's so badly beaten, so wounded that he obviously at some point in the journey couldn't keep going, couldn't keep carrying this piece of timber. And that's where Simon enters the story. So let me show you what happens in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Along the way, along the way to his execution, the soldiers, Jesus, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. That's it. He doesn't come up anywhere else in the Bible. That's his story, okay? And we don't know a lot about him. Was he a Jew? I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. We know he was from Cyrene, which is a city in northern Africa, which is modern day. It's like modern day Libya, okay? So there's a good chance this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. 
Like, think about it for a second. How many famous religious leaders do you know? Now, how many famous religious leaders do you know that aren't even from your country? And now, how many famous religious leaders that aren't from your country would you know if there was no TV, internet, radio? You see what I'm saying? Like, there's a good chance this guy hadn't even heard of Jesus, but he's passing through. Simon, the Cyrene. Now, can you see the scene? Okay, so Jesus is walking. He's carrying this beam. Soldiers are around him. There's a crowd of people watching this all happen. Most of them, or many of them, probably hurling insults at him. Maybe some of them throwing things in his direction. You know, this is what they would do to somebody being led to their crucifixion. And this guy, Simon, is walking past. I don't know if he was there on business, if he was there for pleasure, if he was there to see family, if he was there to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Passover, because it was Passover weekend, the largest holiday on the Jewish calendar. It would be like uh, if you were walking down the streets of Manhattan on New Year's Eve, and there's just people everywhere, or on Fourth of July weekend, or Christmas Eve, or something like that. People all over, right? And so you don't know if he's there because he's traveling for whatever reason, but he's passing by this scene, and the soldiers force him to help Jesus carry this crossbar. They force him into service. That's the scene that's going on, right? He most likely doesn't know Jesus or why Jesus is even being executed. But that's kind of how opportunity happens a lot of times, isn't it? I mean, the one thing you can say about this guy, I mean, we know his name, I guess, and that's significant because there's a lot of characters in the Bible we don't even get their name. They're just called a prophet or a king from another country or a leper or a blind man. Or, but here, God makes an intentional point to give us this guy's name, so that's significant, I guess. But we don't know much about this guy. But one thing we can tell for sure is he was in the right place at the right time. Or, or maybe, depending on your perspective, you'd say he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? But, but that's kind of how opportunity happens a lot, isn't it? it it's like unexpected. Maybe you've heard it said that way before, like uh, opportunity strikes you when you least expect it, right? Have you heard that before? And so studying like this verse and kind of to rip it apart this week and dig behind it and look through the Bible for this context of this kind of study we're doing, I want to expand that idea today because I think I came up with from God's Word the formula for how to get opportunity. And, and maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I've got all the opportunity I want. But, but maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I could use some more opportunity in my life, okay? So I think I found in God's word the formula for opportunity. I'm going to give it to you first, then we'll look at it together and what God said, okay? Here's, here's the formula. You ready? Opportunity comes when you're in the right place with the right attitude at the right time, okay? So I added a little bit to what this guy's experience was, but does that make sense? I think... Maybe most of us could agree on that, that opportunity seems to happen when you're in the right place with the right attitude at the right time. And if you take any one of those three things out, opportunity could be missed. Like if you got the right attitude and you're at the right place, but it's not the right time, you know, if I'm an astronaut and I've worked my whole life and I've put myself uh, at Cape Canaveral, and I'm ready for the space shuttle to launch, and I've got a great positive attitude about it, but the launch isn't for another week. It doesn't matter how positive I am. It doesn't matter how much work I do or 
if I'm at the right spot, like I'm not going to launch into space, right? So if you pull out any one of these, you'll miss the opportunity. If you're at the right place, and this today might be the right place for you, and it might be the right time, but if you've got the wrong attitude, you'll walk out the doors and not have heard anything today. That happens every week. Every week at our church, I can almost see it on people's faces from the front. You'll be teaching the exact same thing, and somebody will be on the edge of their seats, soaking it all in, and somebody else will be asleep. What's the difference? It's the same sermon. It's the same verses from God's Word. So what changed? Well, somebody's attitude changed. Or maybe somebody didn't position themselves in the right place. Maybe they went to bed at 4 a.m. instead of midnight, right? Maybe one person ate a good breakfast and one person didn't get here in time to get a donut. I don't know. I'm not saying that's a good breakfast. That might be, I don't know. But it's a tasty breakfast, but maybe not a good for you breakfast. I don't know. But like, so you need all three of these things, okay? So let's go back through the verse and let me show them to you. Let's talk about them just for a second. Let me show you the first one, verse 32 again in Matthew chapter 27. Here's what it said. Along the way, now in our life group on Wednesday night, we actually talked about this. You guys would know that if you came to life group, but I'm just, oh, I'm just saying, <laughs> throwing people under the bus for my life group. All right, so along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and they, the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. This phrase, along the way, comes up a lot in the New Testament comes up a lot in Jesus's life. A lot of times when Jesus did something great or miraculous or supernatural or helped somebody a lot or made an impact or a difference on the world, he was along the way to somewhere else. Along the way. How can that be the right place? That's kind of how opportunity happens. It usually happens when you're along the way to somewhere else. It doesn't usually happen when I got my face buried in my phone or I'm holed up in my house. It usually happens when I get out and get around people, right? It's really hard to make a difference in the world if you're not around other people. Does that make sense? So if you live out in the woods, and a lot of us in this county actually do live out in the woods, but if you live out in the woods somewhere and you're surrounded by nobody and you don't ever go out of the house and, 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 and our world is constantly pushing all of us to become more and more reclusive. Now you can get everything you need on your phone. They'll bring your groceries right to your door. They'll deliver your packages right to your door. You can literally buy anything you would want or need on Amazon or Walmart. You know you can buy a casket at walmart.com and they will bring it right to your house. Everything you need from diapers to casket, they will deliver to your house. You don't have to interact with the world at all. Your only interaction with the world can be Siri. Siri, if you don't have an iPhone, that's like real technology, okay? And so if you have an Android phone, that's Siri is what you talk to on your phone. I'm just saying, Android people. All the Android people hate my guts in this church, by the way. But you can literally like hole up in your house and not leave for any reason. Our world's always kind of encouraging that. Stream anything you want on Netflix. Find anything you want on your phone. Have anything you want delivered right to you. Just stay home. Life is better that way, isn't it? An opportunity just kind of passes you by. Because opportunity usually happens along the way. Along the way to somewhere else. This guy could have sat this festival out. He could have canceled the business trip. He could have told the family he wasn't coming. But here he is, just happened to be strolling by, doing something. On his way somewhere. There's this word that comes up in Greek. It's called 
The, the word in Greek is erkomen, and it just literally means coming or going. I love that because it can mean coming or going. It's like the same word. In all three of these verses that we're going to look at, they all use that same Greek word. This guy was just kind of passing by, coming or going. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Was he coming or going? I don't know. But he just happened to be coming along the way. And there was this guy I was talking to a few years ago, and I said, uh, I was telling him a story from my week. And I said, hey, man, I had such a good week this week. I got to sit down with this guy at a restaurant and share my faith with him. And I just felt like God was kind of burdening my heart to ask the guy, like, are you ready to let Jesus save you and tell him you want to follow him? And uh, I always feel that when I'm talking with people. I'll feel that a lot. And, and, and there's this part of me that's like, no, don't ask him. Yeah, that's the, the shoulder devil. You ever see like shoulder demons and shoulder angels? Doesn't anybody watch cartoons? I'm just saying. Okay, so that don't tell them, don't ask them, you know? And then there's this other part of me that's the Holy Spirit side of me that's like, yeah, ask him, man. Ask him if he's ready to follow Jesus. And so I'm sitting there and I was like, hey, man, I just want to ask you, like I heard your story and all, but like, sounds like you need Jesus to save you. Are you ready to follow him with your whole heart? And he, he looks at me and he goes, yeah, I'm ready. I was like, awesome, tell him. And right there in that moment, he becomes a Christian. And I was telling this story to a friend of mine, and, uh, and the friend said, uh, man, can I tell you something? He's like, just once. I'd like to be able to sit across the table from somebody and just see him become a Christian. I've never got to see that. And this is what I said to him. I said, well, here's the thing. I can tell you the secret. Because I can tell you how I got to see that guy become a Christian. Here, here's how, you ready? The reason I got to see that guy across the table from me become a Christian that day is because I've sat with 50 guys across the table from me and asked them if they want to follow Jesus. But it doesn't happen at my house. You see what I'm saying? Like, you got to get along the way for it to happen, you know? And I look around like our room sometime and I see all these guys that like, they're, they're like my kids. Oh, you're like my kid. Like if I was Paul, I'd call you my kid. Is that okay? I'm not going to call you my kid in public. Well, we are in public, but and it's like, I see all these guys like I got to sit in my office with and just be like, you ready to follow Jesus? I got to sit out at the picnic table with and be like, you ready to follow Jesus? I got to sit across the living room with and be like, you ready to follow Jesus? But that only happens when you get moving. That you get along the way. Every guy I ask to follow Jesus doesn't say yes. It doesn't work that way. And so there's a direct connection between how much of the way I get moving in and how much of the opportunity I get to experience. Does that make sense? And so you got to kind of get moving. And a lot of times those opportunities present themselves as interruptions. People, in general, are a nuisance. Let's get real about it. Most of the time, you're busy and you don't want to be bothered with other people. But if you're going to seize the day, then you got to start to view people, got to start to view interruptions as opportunities, not just a nuisance. And until you do that, you're never going to position yourself in the right place for opportunity. So what am I saying here? Here's what I'm saying. That, that you got to get moving. That, that they might not know you're busy and they might not care what else you got planned, but you got to just stop along the way and give them a little bit of your time. You got to leave your house or your office. You got to look up from your phone, take your eyes off your schedule start to see the people around you. So that's a lot of time the right place where opportunity happens. 
And that's why at this church, we're always trying to encourage you to get into a life group, to take on a serving role, to invite somebody over to your house for dinner, to love your neighbor, to, to do something kind for an enemy, because you've got to start getting around people if you want to be in the right place for opportunity. What am I talking about? This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a pattern of obedience. See, a pattern of obedience is the right place to experience opportunity. You with me? And, and, and I can be like, well, I'm going to come to church on Easter, but that is not a pattern of obedience. A pattern of obedience is like, I got to get there as often as I can, as often as is possible, because I got to get around some people if I'm going to make an impact in this world. And don't be telling anybody that comes to church next week like they're a jerk because they only come to church once a year. <laughs> but that just is what it is, right? Like you, you've got to be around people if you're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And so what this pattern of obedience, like what does obedience lead to? Anybody think they know? They may have been paying attention today. What do you think obedience leads to? No? Nobody got that? I want to take a guess, take a stab at what we're talking about today. What? Oh, yeah. AS got it there. Uh, yeah. Obedience leads to opportunity. That's not right, but that was a great answer. That's exactly what you should be thinking at this point, because I kind of set you up for that, but since half of you weren't paying attention, you missed it. Yeah, that's what it seems like in my head. Okay, obedience ought to lead to opportunity. That's what it should be, but the truth isn't always that, because that's only one piece of the formula, right? Obedience is just one piece of the formula I gave you. You've got to be in the right place with the right attitude at the right time. So I might be in the right place. I might be obeying and doing all the right things and going all the But still, it's not always met with opportunity. In fact, a lot of times it's met with opposition. Right? Obedience a lot of times is met with opposition. Oh, you're doing that? That's so stupid. Why would you do that? There's way better things to do. Come with me. You know? It's like, I'm going to church today. No, no, no. Come with me. I'm going shopping. Or, yeah, it's like, there's always some opposition to the obedience. That's usually how it plays out, right? And so, uh, but that's just because it's just one piece of the puzzle. So now Luke writes this same verse in his own flavor, and he adds a second piece to it for it for us. I'm going to show you. He's, he adds for us the attitude. I'm going to show it to you. Ready? It's um, in Luke 23, verse 26, I think is what I got next. Yeah, here's what it says. As they led Jesus away, a man, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in. There's that word, coming in, coming or going, air coming right? Coming in from the countryside. I don't know what he was doing in the countryside. Maybe he's out there eating pinto beans and cornbread. I don't know. That's what you do in the countryside, I think. So he comes in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it. Now that's everything there we heard in Matthew's account. And he just adds this little phrase at the end. Made him carry it behind Jesus. Matthew didn't tell us where he was. He says he had to carry it. So he takes this position behind Jesus. Now, I don't know if you can see this scene or not, but try to see it in your mind's eye. Jesus is walking along. They grab this guy from the crowd and say, carry his cross. Now, whether they told him to walk behind Jesus or not, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, I don't know. But the imagery shouldn't be lost on you that here's this guy carrying the cross of Jesus as he follows Jesus. And Jesus is walking along, this guy behind him. And he takes this position behind Jesus. I'm going to call it today the position of humility. Now think about it for a second. As they're walking, the crowd doesn't care about Simon. They don't even know Simon. He's from out of town, out of country. 
They don't care about him. They're hurling insults at Jesus, probably throwing stuff at him, trying to shame him. You think some of the stuff's bouncing off Simon? Maybe. You think it feels like they're all yelling at him, even though it's not at him? But he's walking right there behind Jesus, and they're screaming stuff at Jesus. It's kind of just like it is, isn't it? If you're going to follow behind Jesus, you're going to take some of the abuse. People are going to yell some insults at him. It's going to come your way. It's going to feel like it's at you. People are going to hurl some stuff at you, and you're going to feel like, I thought they were angry at Jesus, but it feels like they're angry at me. But he takes this position of humility. And if you're familiar with Jesus' life story, it's hard to read this verse and not flash back in your mind to Matthew chapter 16, which just happened a few weeks earlier in Jesus' life. So I'll give you like a quick background on Matthew chapter 16. A few weeks earlier than this scene, Jesus has all of his disciples around him, a bunch of people around him. And the Bible says that from that moment on, he started to tell all of his followers how he was going to have to die. He started to speak to them plainly about it and say, I'm going to have to die and suffer many things at the hands of all these religious leaders. I'm going to be crucified. And then three days later, I'm going to overcome it and rise from the dead. And he starts telling them about that. And Peter, who's always got enough courage and boldness to speak up, Peter pulls Jesus aside. I love that, like that image. Like, Jesus, come here, we need to talk. Like, you screwed something up, Jesus, come here. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside. And he's like, no, Lord, God forbid I will never let you die. I will defend you if it costs me my life. And Jesus says, Peter, you're acting like the devil. He said, get behind me. Get out of my way. You're looking at the situation from man's perspective, from man's point of view. You need to see what's going on here from God's point of view. And then the very next verse, now see if you can see the picture of what's going to happen in a few weeks. The very next verse, verse 24, says this. Then Jesus said to all of his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You see the correlation? What Jesus told his followers and what Simon's carrying out a few weeks later? Pick up the cross and get behind me. Pick up the cross and follow me. Stop trying to see what's going on from man's perspective and start trying to see the world from God's point of view. Just the fact, I also don't want you to miss that just the fact that Jesus needed somebody to pick up his cross for him is so ironic had to be like divine providence here. But like, it's just so ironic. Think about it for a second. The guy, the God who is about to carry the weight of the entire world's burdens was now depending on a human to carry his burden. The humility that Jesus showed in that moment. Like, don't let that, don't let that just like pass you by. But Jesus is modeling for us in that moment this illustration of as humble as you can be. He couldn't even carry his own crossbar to his death. It speaks to how beaten and abused he had been already at that point, that they would even have to have somebody else carry it for him. And why would those soldiers care? Why would this story about Simon even be in the Bible? 
It's not even like a major issue. Why couldn't you just gloss over it? And, and you think about it, it's like, why would the soldiers even care if somebody helped Jesus carry his cross? Why wouldn't they just kick him harder? Well, he's probably too beaten up. He was probably on the verge of death. If you put all the facts together, that they had to have somebody carry his cross for him, that he only spent six hours hanging on the cross when a typical Roman crucifixion would last a day or two, the facts are that Jesus was probably so badly beaten ahead of time that he just wasn't going to make it much longer. And these Roman soldiers would have known if we don't get somebody to help this guy carry this cross, he's not going to make it to the hill. He's going to die. And then they'd be in trouble. Now think about it like today if somebody was sentenced to the death penalty and the prison guards were bringing him to the gas chamber, but the guy died before he got there, they'd be in trouble. See what I'm saying? These guys would be the same way. In Roman culture and even in Israel at that time, crucifixions were like entertainment. And this guy was allowed to die by the guards before he got to the entertainment part. The crowd would be ticked off. And they wouldn't be, so they knew they couldn't let this guy die, so they have to get him some help. But it just shows how humble of an example Jesus set for us. That's what humility does. Humility leads us to honor. How do I know that? I'm going to show it to you in the verse. Can I show it to you? Humility leads us to honor. Look back, look at Mark's account of the verse now. Mark chapter 15, I think, verse 21. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside. There's that same word again, coming or going. Just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, that's the same as the other two accounts of it, right? But now he adds this phrase at the end. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Those are good names, I guess. Our son's middle name is Alexander, and Rufus was on Bill and Ted. So those are both good names, I guess. So I don't know why that's in there either. Why is that in there? I mean, even if you were going to record Simon's name for this story, why mention his kids? They didn't do a thing. They don't come up anywhere else in the Bible. Some people speculate maybe they get referenced here and there, but there's no proof that any of these three people come up anywhere else in the Bible. So why even mention them? I don't really know. The Bible doesn't say, but it looks to me, it looks like honor. Like, like imagine if 30 years later, when Mark writes this account of Jesus' life, and it starts getting passed around from church to church to church, and it makes its way to northern Africa. And Alexander's kid starts reading Mark's gospel. And Alexander's like, let me show you something. See right here where Simon carried Jesus' cross, and it says Alexander and Rufus were the, his kids, and they were there with that's me. I'm Alexander. I was there that day. I, I don't know if that's why, but it looks like that to me. I can't think of any other reason to even include their names. Can't be by accident because the Bible doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't put extra stuff in his word that we don't need. Seems like it's for honor. All right, now piece it all together with me, okay? Piece it all together with me. Put, put the formula back up there for me. Here's the formula for opportunity. Remember we said this. It comes when you're at the right place at the, with the right attitude at the right time. It comes when you're at the right place with the right attitude at the right time. Now the right place is the pattern of obedience. Doing what God says, doing what he tells you to do, even when it's hard, even when somebody else tells you to do something different, you, you practice a pattern of obedience. That's the right place to experience opportunity. 
then the right attitude is a position of humility. Right behind Jesus, following him, no matter where he goes, no matter what insults get thrown your way, no matter what it costs you from family members, no matter how stupid they think you are. Oh, I'm sorry, I said stupid again. No matter how bad they think you are, no matter how foolish they think you're acting, you keep following behind Jesus no matter what it costs you. That's the right attitude. Now, what about the time? Because you still don't know what time it's supposed to be. Okay, so I'm following Jesus. I'm developing a pattern of obedience in my life. I'm taking the position of humility. But how do I know when the opportunity is going to strike? I still don't know the time, do I? But I found it. God tells us. Can I show it to you? Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I'll show you two verses. Here's the first one. Ready? Let's not get tired of doing what is good. That's a pattern of obedience. You got that? Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And let me show you another one. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this. So humble yourselves. That's an attitude of humility, right? So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Do you guys see it? What's he saying? If you will keep obeying and stay humble, blessing, reward, honor will come your way at just the right time. You won't know what the time is, but he will. And he promises it. Do you get it? Do you see what he's saying? You might say to God something like, well, God, I've been at this for a long time. How long do I keep serving these family members who don't seem to appreciate it? How long do I keep loving these neighbors that don't seem to be interested in you at all? How long do I keep serving these kids in sidekicks that don't seem to be getting anything from my teaching? How long do I keep playing music in the front for a crowd that looks like they won't hardly sing? How long do I continue preaching when people keep falling asleep? How long do I keep sharing my faith across the table from somebody when they all keep saying no to you? How long do I keep obeying? How long do I stay humble? And I feel like in that moment when I feel those things, when I think those things inside of me, I feel like what happens is God gets down on one knee and he looks at me and he says, just a little longer, son. Just a little longer. I don't want you to miss the opportunity. Get back on the bike. Ride it just a little longer. And if you do, you won't know when it's going to happen. But I promise you, at just the right time, you will reap the benefits. At just the right time, I will lift you up in honor. At just the right time, opportunity will come your way. That's the moment of opportunity. So I'm here today to say to you, don't quit. Don't stop obeying Jesus. Don't stop being humble. And I want to ask you this question today. Where in your life is Jesus telling you to obey that you've been defiant? Where in your life is Jesus saying to you, swallow your pride and be humble where you've been living only for yourself? Where? Because right there at those spots is the moment of opportunity. And if you will just stay the course and keep obeying, stay humble, 
blessing will come, reward will come, opportunity will come at just the right moment. If you're here today and you're thinking like, where do I start? I'd like to start. Where do I get started on this path to opportunity? Here it is. You ready? Start serving somebody. Start serving somebody. I was adding some stuff up this week, looking at some analytic stuff. I gave it to Kenny and Brad before church. We're talking, we're going to talk about this next week. But it's like, we got 37 people in this church right now plugged into a serving role, a recurring serving role every week where they're serving people in their life. We'll help you find a spot if you need a spot. But you could also just bake some cookies and take them to the neighbor. You could also just invite somebody you've been keeping at arm's length out to dinner this week. Just get out of your house and just get around some people. And when you're with them, stay humble and just obey God. And in due time, at just the right moment, opportunity will come your way. I want to leave you guys with these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. This is what he says. Maybe. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So now the choice is yours. I've done my part. I'm off the hook. Now you're on the hook. Will you go out of here today and just be a hearer of the word and do nothing with it? Or will you have heard what God says to us, go out the doors today and start obeying him and getting humble. Start serving others. Start staying the course. Stop seize, start seizing the day. Start taking advantage of the moments of opportunity that God's going to bring your way this week. It's on you now. I hope you'll do it. Can I pray for you that God will give you courage to do that this week? Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the great church service you're going to give us next week at Easter and for the breakfast food that's going to be here. But God, in this moment, would you empower the people in this room with courage to go out of the doors and not just let what they've heard go in one ear and out the other, but to seize the day, to get back on the bike, to obey just a little longer. God, I know if they do, they will see blessing and harvest and benefit an opportunity more than they can even think of or imagine. God, would you give us courage like that? Would you help our faith? We believe, but would you help our unbelief, God? And if you're here today and you need to make a commitment to the Lord, whether it's, hey, I need to follow your son for the first time in my life, or it's, I need to get off my backside and start doing something to serve others. Would you make that commitment to him? He's standing there waiting to hear from you ready to get down on one knee and be like, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Just get back out there and ride a little longer. Just get back out there and go at it one more time. Just get back out there and stay the course. And if you do, I promise you it'll be an opportunity you won't regret. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.